Welcome to Deconstructing the Myth, a podcast exploring reasons why those who grew up in the American Evangelical Church are now leaving it behind. My guest today is Jenny White, who shares a story of spiritual abuse in the workplace within the Evangelical Church. She gives a compelling perspective of somebody who wrestled with and left behind American evangelicalism, but still emerged as a Christian within the context of a different faith tradition. Just a heads up, my two-month-old daughter makes an appearance a couple times. I actually just got done recording your husband's episode, Kenny, and we started off talking about how... (laughs) How um, I knew him. At first, I didn't like him because he was making moves on you. <laughs> yes, we, we definitely all agree. I am now with the right person. 100%. But yeah, we met at college and your first impression of me was not great. Correct. Correct. <laughs> I won an essay contest that you were sure you should have won. Well, okay. I knew an essay was kind of terrible. So I don't know why I thought. <laughs> no, like, no, it was. It was bad because it was like talk about some struggle you've overcome and you talked about uh, your relationship with Scott and it was just this like it felt like a fairy tale to me and I was like I had nothing to pull from and so my essay was terrible and I didn't even win and Elizabeth (laughs) is already engaged her life is all the way figured out oh clearly I don't know what I'm doing with my life and I am just envious so envious so you did not like me from the start and I had no idea until like literally I think you told me maybe like after my wedding which you were in as a bridesmaid but you became one of my dearest nearest nearest dearest friends what's the phrase anyway you became one of my very very best friends of like all time because you also are one of my few friends that just like tells it how it is (laughs) and not just about Christianity because quite a few of them have done that for this project but Mm -hmm. just about life in general I remember one time we had like a what was it? A, a, a DTR to find the relationship <laughs> of our friendship. Do you remember that? Yes. You yeah. had gotten really ca- caught up with recording and you were very busy. And I just thought, well, I don't see Elizabeth anymore. Like we, how can yeah. we be friends if we don't hang out? So I think I took you down to, I took you off campus. <laughs> Big deal. To, like, down McDonald's. to the McDonald's. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're like, what's up here? It's like, so are we going to be friends or not? Because I haven't seen you for a while. You're not investing. which is one of the reasons my other boyfriend he couldn't hack that he was not i kind of did the similar thing to him like what is this and he was out thankfully yeah um but that's just right on in mo is what are we doing here yes which is good which i think i mean that's a good segue into our talk because i feel like you have approached your faith the same way at different times in your life. Like, Mm -hmm. what are we doing here? What is the (laughs) point? Where is this going? And I just think it's really fascinating where you've ended up Mm -hmm. um, with orthodoxy, especially, you know, when you were in evangelicalism, I remember at the start of that, you were, seemed like you and Kenny were very on fire for it um, for a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then things started to go south. So for our listeners, why don't you just start telling us your uh, spiritual background a little bit? So uh, when my parents were married, they both identified as Christian, but they weren't active in a church community. When they started having kids, it became important for my mom to give us some sort of spiritual upbringing. If I remember correctly, when I was about six years old, my parents met an Anglican priest at a political event and liked him, and so they started attending his church. 
This church was extremely traditional in the sense that it used the liturgy from the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, did not ordain women, and did not recognize same-sex marriage. However, it was not an evangelical church, and by this I mean there was little emphasis on being born again, and I never remember any teaching on the different roles of men and women, dressing modestly, or adhering to any other extra-biblical rules and regulations. Some of the very good things I experienced in this church were hearing Bible readings from the Old and New Testament each week, being taught the core tenets of Christian faith, like the Nicene Creed, and proper reverence for the sacraments of the church, like baptism and communion. While this Anglican church was my Sunday worship experience, mainline evangelicalism permeated much of my preteen and teen years. Hmm. My friends went to an Assemblies of God church, and I went to church with them almost every Wednesday night, where I was part of Missionettes, which is like Christian Girl Scouts. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> they had like the, the, oh my gosh. The best. The best. Okay. <laughs> the best. They had the best. And like Girl Scouts. So it's a legit like Girl it Scouts. It was very legit, but I don't remember doing anything in uh, it. Uh, <laughs> there were some, you know, some catchy songs and Bible verses and things like that. But, yeah, but the outfits were The legit. outfits. And so through my friends, I was also introduced to CCM and Christian media like Bible Man and VeggieTales. And I still stand by VeggieTales. Yeah. I'm still a fan. Solid. <laughs> Bible Man, not so much. Okay. Um, and at home, my mom would listen to Focus on the Family on the radio, and she started to be very wary of exposing us to things that were not considered Christian. Mm. And my family moved when I was 11 years old, and we started to attend another Anglican church. Uh, but my friends uh, there, were, again, were Baptists and Nazarene. So not, I mean, our church was very small, so we didn't really have any youth program at the Anglican church. Mm. Okay. So yeah, so let's go back to my mom, not coming from a Christian home, not trying to expose us to things that maybe are harmful, but not really knowing what to do. And so she, I think, placed too much trust in the opinions of other mothers in our community. And so I grew up reading Harry Potter with my dad. That was mm. one of my favorite memories, reading, yeah. reading together at night. And then all of a sudden, someone told my mom Harry Potter was satanic. Oh, no. In the middle of the series, mind you. Oh, no. So that was especially <laughs> difficult for me without ever having read it herself or really knowing yeah. anything about it. So decisions like that where I was like, Mom, you don't even know, mm. but you're just so afraid of this or it's, you know, that was that was difficult for me because I felt like she didn't fully understand and it felt confining, like we were afraid of something. Mm. Mm-hmm. So anyway... As a little aside there, but uh, she also re- relied on, you know, what should we be teaching about womanhood and growing up and that sort of thing. So we attended a mother-daughter Bible study and we read books like I'd Kiss Dating Goodbye and Four Women Only, which if you know, you know, most people, <laughs> <laughs> people probably do. Yeah. Um, and the uh, worst one we probably went through was how to be... Uh, the, ha- the book How to Be a Help Meet by Debbie Pearl. And it's just a book with very dangerous teachings, very toxic. Mm. And so all of this, see, all of these books I just listed, they're all dangerous. Um, but they're very popular in Christian circles. And my mom thought she was doing the right thing. Yeah. And I felt very confused. And like I had to stifle my talents and my passions and kind of be less than to be seen as a godly woman. Mm. You know, not a leader, someone who wants to be submissive which is not my forte necessarily. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then what does your current spirituality look like? Yeah. So 
I'm going to move up a little bit in time, but still a little bit more of a narrative here. Um, after I got married, which was right after college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my MRS degree as well as you did. <laughs> yes. Like, MRS I degree. did get that along with my history yes, degree. Yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, my husband and I spent several years in, uh, in non-denominational evangelical church. And I was actually employed by the church for three years mm-hmm. um, as the pastor's assistant, kind of office manager, jack of all trades sort of position. And throughout that time, I really did struggle to find meaning in what a lot of that church did. It was hard for me to connect with Jesus and grow in my faith. It felt shallow and performance-based, especially because I was often the one kind of prepping these things. And so mm. I, we would read these books and look at these studies. How do we grow our church? How do we make it appealing to people? And I just kept thinking, why? Like, isn't mm. Jesus enough? Hmm. Why are we, why do we have to do all this other stuff? Yeah. And being Anglican and more identifying with that, I kept thinking like, you're trying to find all these new things and do all this stuff when the book of common prayer is right there. Like, it's great. If we just kind of went back to that, I even kind of like gently, it's like, we couldn't, you know, have an order to our service. Yeah. yeah. Like a liturgy ish thing. Like that would maybe help. Yeah. But we didn't, but oh. it was that quarter thing that I struggled with because it just seemed kind of pointless and, not very effective, mm. but Kenny was all in. Yeah. His whole family was all in. I felt that I was, it was me is what I thought. Like I'm the one who is struggling to connect here. Mm. So I need to work on that because everyone else seems like they're doing great. Yeah. More and more, I went back to what I had learned growing up and trying to hold on to the gods that I met there and not the chaos that was going on around us. Cause it kept getting more and more chaotic. Um, we did end up leaving that church and uh, spent about two years trying to find a church home and now we're about to join the Eastern Orthodox Church. Yeah, quite but, the shift. Yes, quite the shift, yes. Although not so much from Anglicanism. It's actually very, very similar. So really, it was a shift for Kenny. It was mm-hmm. more like, okay, finally we're going kind of back home for me. Okay. After I got, it seemed different. It seemed different, uh, yeah. but now it's like, oh, this is very similar to what I grew up with. Yeah. Well, it's kind of because when I reached out to you about this project too, a long time ago, like months ago, I I think you said something like it was odd to talk about this as deconstruction because Mm -hmm. to you, it's felt a lot like coming, coming home to Jesus or something. Yeah. It's, it's like constructing. Yeah. going, Going back. When it comes to evangelicalism, your story I know has been definitely influenced by spiritual abuse Mm -hmm. and so i would love it if you could get into that a little bit for for our our listeners sure yeah so this is the um church that we were going to when uh we were had just married the one i worked at kenny dubbed this church c (laughs) should we go with that go with it (laughs) it doesn't i don't think i think for my narrative i have i have fewer churches (laughs) yes this for those who will listen to both podcasts this is church c okay and the pastor i'm referring to is who he called mel mel yes Yes. mel at church c so uh church c was a church plant Mm -hmm. um and the pastor had a vision to share the love of christ especially with people living in the poorer parts of kansas city and this seemed like a really good thing like that sounds like a really good thing to do and we went there for about a year Uh, then I was hired on as an executive assistant and I gradually realized that the pastor was not emotionally or spiritually healthy. Uh, I would, narcissistic comes to mind as well. Hmm. Uh, I started to see a pattern where people would become really invested in the church like we were and start taking Uh on leadership roles and then they would leave 
And I, at first, I just kind of bought into the narrative that they had some issue or they weren't really sold out for Jesus because I was always like, well, you know, you're, they're just not willing to put in the work, mm-hmm. not willing to do what's required, even though it's like, but it seems like this is destroying your lives. Mm-hmm. So that was confusing too. Like, is that what it means to be sold out to Jesus? Is that you're just falling apart? Mm-hmm. That didn't s- sit right. And it also felt like something I wasn't willing to do, which also has made me feel like I wasn't good enough either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I believe they weren't sold out or they had some issue or it was all on them. But then I started noticing other patterns. Uh, I heard the pastor yell at a congregant. I saw how he would shame people privately and from the pulpit if they didn't meet his ever-changing expectations. The pastor would also place impossible expectations on me. And when I would finally admit that I could not complete the task he, he assigned me, he would tell me that he knew the task was impossible and he just wanted to see me struggle. What? Yeah, like that was a response. What in the world? After a situation where I was like spent weeks obsessing over how to get this thing done, and then he's like, "Oh, I knew you couldn't do it." That what? Why yeah. would he? Assi- that right. seems so bizarre. That it's seems bizarre. Was it a weird intersection of like trying to tie your work to some like spiritual? I don't know. Well, yeah, because I was working at the church. He, it was. It, yeah, it was kind of like how. How hard are you going to try? Are you? I, I think it was almost some sort of test that he's like well i knew you would keep trying but i knew you know you would ultimately fail at this sort of oh this that thing. sounds so toxic and i don't i want to do what i say i'm going to do no, yeah. i'm not perfect at this of course but it's important to me to follow through and so feeling like i was failing mm-hmm. and then i realized wait this isn't my fault i wasn't this isn't a thing i could win and nor should i be expected to hmm. but in it i just felt like oh so this was like like a, a test oh okay i guess that's okay hmm. um and then other people who had the same job same task in that situation they just didn't care yeah and so it didn't really bother them and i was like i'm thinking okay we're, we were told to do this thing i'm trying really hard i'm definitely not gonna be able to do it and they mm. just kind of ignored it but like yeah. that was turns out to be i mean a healthier way to go about things in that situation <laughs> yeah just ignore but that yeah he would lie to me gaslight me wow after I quit working for him, I planned to remain a member of the church. Um, my husband was still fully supportive of it and didn't kind of understand what I was unable to express. Mm-hmm. And so we met, my husband and I met with the pastor and his counselor trying to work toward reconciliation because it wasn't like we had this big falling out so much, but there were just definitely some issues that were uncomfortable. Yeah. And the counselor, who was an unlicensed biblical counselor, um, she, you said was a licensed, he, unlicensed. Oh, yes. Unlicensed. Very important. He unlicensed. was a therapist, but he didn't have a license, which means he doesn't have to follow privacy regulations. There's oh. no governing body that if he does something unethical or, um, there's no recourse. He's not bound by any of those laws or things. And okay. that can be okay. I think people need to be very cautious when using biblical counselors who are mm. unlicensed because they are taught a different way. And a lot of those ways, especially with marriage and family, there have been studies to show that how those counselors are taught to counsel is wrong. Hmm. And so that's not true for everyone. Someone may be very mature um, and be very helpful. I just think people need to realize when, you, when it's a biblical counselor, what does that mean? And take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I think the, uh, I'm not an expert on this, but I think the premise of a biblical counselor is the idea that everything we need is in the Bible. Okay. So everything comes from the Bible. We're not going to take other studies or other works in psychology or mm. therapy. It's just going to be totally Bible-based. And But of course, they're in 
in a, in effect, they are they are adding their interpretation of the Bible, but without listening to the wisdom of other people of the field, evidence based yeah. evidence based things. Hmm. Okay. And again, like yeah, they don't have to be. They don't have to keep what you're saying private. There's Oof. no privacy rules. They may, they, and they should, but they don't have to. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. So the counselor we went to, unfortunately, he also gaslit us, Kenny and me. We were trying to talk about all these issues that we were trying to work through, and it was just not, just not really understood. So mm. he was saying, you know, what you're experiencing is normal. You're just learning that the leader isn't perfect, and that happens, especially like if you're a pastor's kid or you work in the church. Mm. Like it's just normal. And he dismissed a lot of the really serious problems we were bringing up. So after that, I was like, okay, I did, I did, I tried. We're not getting through. I, I'm done. So we had another meeting. We did meet again. And I just told the pastor, um, I believe that my pastor should have my respect and be an authority in my life. Not that I have to always obey or that I think they're perfect, but I need to respect them and allow them to speak into my life because that's they're a shepherd of the of the people right like that's their job and i said i no longer respected him and i'm not gonna let him speak into my life and so we're not gonna stay at the church anymore wow and that was that would you feel comfortable sharing maybe a couple instances where you started to think you know maybe something's wrong with how things are being run here there was the hearing him treat a congregant in a way that was attacking the yelling and i witnessed this firsthand I, mm. I was on his side of the phone call and um so that was a that was a red flag there was uh calling people out um publicly for something like shaming them when it wasn't we're not talking about there is this idea of in church discipline i'm not yeah. even touching that this was not that situation it was just like you're i wanted you to do this thing then I said you didn't actually have to do it, and then you didn't. Yeah. And now I'm saying you don't you don't care about people who are going to hell. Okay, I think Kenny might have touched on this. They had touched on this. It was a big like what? Yeah. Um, and then there was the lying, um, where I I would hear one thing from him, and then from a very and then from people he was talking about actually hear the full story, and I would oh. go, Oh, you just straight up. It wasn't like a misunderstanding. There was no way to construe it as a misunderstanding. It was just you straight up lied to me hmm. and tried to kind of play me this way. It seems like you were manipulating me. It was very manipulative. Hmm. And so those sort of things. And there are some financial things um, that did come to light that also was like, I thought you were a Christian. Yeah. Like how just not necessarily illegal, but wrong. Hmm. Yeah. And all these things kind of just started to come and we heard more stories and we saw more things and those were kind of the highlights yeah that i can okay so you left and people say you know every church is gonna have a problem you shouldn't leave a church it's a family mm -hmm. you're part of the body mm -hmm. of christ and so for you when does like when's enough enough i guess what's the point where you're like this is no longer safe emotionally, spiritually, you know, what, what did that look like for you in making that decision? Yeah. When you asked me that, this question, um, this was one that was kind of prepared. It was, it was like, wow, I've never thought of that. And hmm. it was a really good question. And I did think through it. Uh, it was probably the hardest question because I really didn't have anything. I wish I, I want to have a formula or an answer or a checklist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't have that. 
anything that was good that seemed to happen in that church seemed to happen in spite of it and not because of it. So Hmm. institutionally, there was nothing there that should be saved or kept. I just felt like there was not anything good there worth staying for. Hmm. I I really believe that everyone who is still there in this church that is still active, um, I hope the church dissolves. And I mean that truly out of love um, for everyone, including this pastor that we're talking about, um, yeah. I think it'd be best for him as well yeah. that that church no longer exists. So, um, and this is, I've shared these things with people that I have relationships with who are in the church. I didn't go up front and shout it, but I yeah. did make it publicly known. Um, and so it kind of leads into my second thought is that despite all that we did to facilitate community and all the extra events I went to, the extra events that I was like, technically you don't have to go, but you better go, which was hard hard because i am so extremely introverted (laughs) so extremely introverted it was just soul sucking like that's the only way i can describe it it was just like this is the worst ever and i'm Mm. trying to be good and like is this what is this what god is calling me to do because that's what it was like this is the way there's not another way i was like well god made me this way but you're telling me this but i do feel like intrinsically i am not made to do that yeah and that was just a war inside myself but that was really an aside so i went to tons of extra events i put on extra events um I didn't really fit in with a lot of the people there. Mm. Um, there wasn't anything wrong with them. It just wasn't really my speed. It wasn't my crowd. We didn't have a ton in common. So there were only a few people that I really considered myself to be in community with. And I, I did share what was going on with them. And they supported me and they loved me through a very difficult time. And eventually they all left the church as well. Mm. All of my uh, friends that were there. And when that happened, I did my best to support them because it's very hard to leave a church yeah. for all the reasons you said. There's a lot of like, am I doing the right thing? Is this being selfish? All of that. Um, yeah. It's very hard. But those friends that I still have, like we're still in community now. We all go to different churches, mm. but we are very much connected. Um, and that's been a really wonderful thing. Finally, uh, I had kind of one other thing that helped me make this decision. So I just had a very deep sense that God was calling me away. Um it was a piece. It was like, just get, get out. God knew I needed to leave before I did. Uh, my mental and physical health were really suffering. My marriage was suffering. Um, and that put us into a season of focusing on God's love and focusing on his care for me, aside from all the expectations I had placed on it and trying to be the perfect Christian woman Yeah. and just stop that because it was not giving me life. And I kept going back to God has created us and he has given us desires and he was created us for abundant life. He doesn't just want us to survive. He wants us to thrive. Mm, yeah. And when the core part of me um, is not thriving, and I don't mean that in the like self-centered way, mm-hmm. um, or like it's all about me or it's all about finding happiness. I don't mean that, but I just mean like when you feel like you are doing something contrary to what you're created to do, yeah. and, you're, and it's hard because you're not supposed to be doing it, that feeling. Mm. It was that feeling. And so focusing on that and just being open to listening to like who God has actually created me to be. So for me, that meant trusting myself more, trusting okay. that that was the, that was the Holy Spirit working in me to be more of a guide hmm. of what was good and what was not good Yeah. instead of letting other people speak into my life and tell me just from all different sources yeah. what was right or what I should be doing and just not following that hmm. as strongly. I'd kind of like to do an off-the-cuff question. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I don't think it'll be a hard one for you. Sure. Um, I asked Kenny the same thing. Yeah. So 
at this point in your spiritual journey, mm-hmm. this is a point where a lot of people would say, not just, you know, forget church, but kind of forget God. And you, you guys never questioned God, correct? No. Why do you think that was never um, something you questioned? Because for a lot of people, this is sort of the breaking point of their yeah. entire faith. I think for me, somehow God held on to me through that, I guess. I never let left that that central part of me like I was talking about before, like that core. Mm-hmm. I always... I just always held on to that. I think my upbringing in the Anglican church, which focused a lot on hearing the, um, hearing the gospels, hearing Jesus's words, hearing the Nicene Creed, going, having a reverence for, for God, having that experience, which was always to me much more life giving than all these other things. And was very much different from all the expectations because that, that was, those weren't placed on me in that environment. Yeah, it may be different for someone else coming out of that background, but for me, it, it, that wasn't there. So there was that, and then there were I I, I definitely had doubts in one sense, especially going up with church camp and doing all these things. It's always like you know you have to know you're saved, you have mm, to know yes. and do this and all, that whole thing. And I struggled with that, and it was horrible actually. I had hard mental health things were kind of brought to a head because of this idea of well, am I just gonna go to hell do I not did I not do enough did I not do it right and this was in my teen years and I just got to the point where I was like I I do think God is real I I do want him to save me but I cannot figure out the life like I can't I can't like know for sure I guess or I don't know how to know for sure I've said the prayer I've tried it but I keep having these horrible feelings and I just had to say I'm just going to hold on and I'm going to do my best and that's going to have to be enough. So that's what I was holding on to. I think throughout this of that, that God is the one I was, I was still believing in aside from all the other stuff. The God always said, you know what? I don't know how to, I don't know. I can't figure this out. I don't know what to do and I can't do it on my own, but I'm choosing to believe and I'm hoping that that's, that me making that choice is enough because Mm. that's all I have sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what are some indicators of spiritual abuse that people should look out for? What I would say, this is difficult, but it's, it's just trust your gut. Mm. If it feels wrong, it probably is. Mm. If you feel like they're telling you to do something for Jesus and it feels like it's killing you inside and not because you'd rather be playing video games and sleeping, but like, <laughs> no, this is something... Not, not not something wrong necessarily, but wrong for you or that you're being pushed into something um, or that that'd be a red flag if you kind of feel that gut feeling. That's mostly what I experienced. But if you catch someone lying, if you feel like if there's no accountability path for a leader, mm. so if there's no, um, which is a, it can be true for a lot of non-denominational churches, there's a lead pastor and he's the one in authority and there's no recourse. Mm if you see something or there's no one checking him or her, that's true. So I would look out, I would be wary in those situations. No, who, who are they reporting to? Is that person who's in charge? Do they have a healthy humility and not just, you don't, and if you're in a big church, you won't even know probably like you may not know, but if you're in a smaller church and you see some things and you think this person doesn't have a lot of checks and balances on them, they're kind of having free reign that might be something to look out for. Yeah. 
if the Bible starts being used to shame you or coerce you to do something that you don't feel like you should do, this can be especially true for women in a woman's role. Mm-hmm. It can also be used like in uh, ways for like church discipline or things like that. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's not freeing, but it's like putting shackles on you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> then you should watch out. Hmm. And never be never be in a situation where like, if you can, don't be isolated. Have a community that can help you that you can be true with. If you have to hide who you are because you're ashamed or you won't be supported, that's a red flag. Hmm. How, do we, how do we define, I guess maybe, how do we distinguish the difference between when it's like a person and who they're created to be and something that is sinful. This might be too much of a question for now. But some mm-hmm. people would say, you know, oh, my pastor called me out for this. Um, and maybe called something a sin. And they say, and I'm offended and now I'm leaving. Do you think, I mean, that's not necessarily what you're talking about, is it? No, no. Um, this is a big, <laughs> this is a big question. I mean, the big ones that come to mind are kind of right now the topic yeah. of homosexuality. Sure. Um, and I, we don't have to get into this if you don't want to, because we did not prep this at all. And my answer is, I don't know. Okay. I love that though. I love that. You can leave that in if you want. Because, well, a lot of people won't say, I don't know, you know, that's one big one that's been, I de- definitely coming around and I actually don't think I've entered in any mm-hmm. interviewees talking, <laughs> any interviewees talking about that one in particular but that's sure. i mean i've heard people say online similar things to you as far as like oh it, there's stuff it's i was i feel like i'm made to be this way and i'm not i know and i don't have i cannot speak to that yeah, at all that's yeah. a hard thing so nevertheless i think it is still safe to say mm-hmm. that is one of the things that if we're not careful can get into spiritual abuse waters pretty fast yes whether or not yes you know, we know how it should be dealt with specifically, but I think that's one that gets there pretty with fast. Care and love, and um, there are people who say that that's not even what the Bible means, how it's been translated. Mm-hmm. That it's talking about pedophiles versus homosexuals. Yeah, and, I've heard that. Yeah, and I haven't looked into it at all. I just know that that is a theory that has been put out, mm-hmm. and I haven't looked into it. Yeah. So I I don't know. All I know is. I have people that are homosexual that I am in a relationship with and I would not want them to feel shame or judgment from me. That's not my role. So all I can do is I can witness, I can listen to their story. And my witness, I mean, I can be a witness for them mm. and in their life Yeah. because I honestly don't know. Yeah. You left this church and mm-hmm. you went to Eastern Orthodoxy. It took a little while for you guys to get there. I know yes. that story's in Kenny's yes, pod- yes. podcast episode a little bit. Needless to say, you are Eastern Orthodox now. Yep. And about to be. About to about be. About to be officially. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. He was talking about yes. this. Yeah. How exciting. By the oh. time anyone hears this, we you will be. You will be fully <laughs> part of the church. And so can you tell us what your favorite parts of Orthodoxy have been so far? Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things I like. I'm very interested to hear if Kenny had another take on this because we, we've come from very different, different directions, but a few things that I really like, I like that there are a few essential tenets like the Nicene Creed that must be accepted by church members. Mm. Um, but then there's so much freedom to have different opinions about non-Christological concepts. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I love. Like you don't have to split the church over something that really can't be known. You can have strong opinions. You can have, you can even have beliefs. Yeah. 
but someone else can have just as valid a belief and it can be different. So you think there's almost more freedom? There's so much freedom than is what it like feels in, like. Yes. Evangelical spaces? I think so, yes. Hmm. Because there's a freedom to say, we can agree on the on the essentials. Yeah. And here are the essentials. And then there are so many different theory, like theories and ways of thinking. And you can get really into it or you can not. And I'm sort of someone who's, I want to know some, some things, but I don't need to go into the weeds yeah. in a lot of areas. And that's okay. Yeah. So that's been really good. It's also uh, coming out of that chaotic environment of that church plant. I really like the feeling of comfort that comes from knowing that we don't have to figure everything out. We can just follow yeah. in the tradition, in the footsteps of those who've gone before us. And it's not that we aren't growing and changing. It just means that there's a path. Mm. Hmm, I love that. There's, our, there's, there's a path to walk and it might be rocky or hilly, but there is still a path to follow. So that's been wonderful. And uh, also, I had to put this in, uh, there's so much history in the Eastern Orthodox yeah. Church. Uh, that was what I got my undergrad yes, in history. history yes. <laughs> and when you learn about the Orthodox Church, it's beautiful. The history is beautiful. Um, and it, it really holds up, I think, to theological scrutiny as well. Mm. So both of those, I, I, I always have to investigate and research things. And so when you like, why, why do we believe this? Or what's the evidence behind that? You can really find that there's a record and oh. that's also very helpful back yeah. to the early, um, like three hundreds, there's records that things have been written down like, Oh, that was really close to Christ. So I'm going to give this more credence and mm. weigh it historically as well, which I love. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. That ties yeah. to your historical nature. Yeah. <laughs> I also love the riches and depth of Orthodox worship. Um, Orthodox churches have a dome and there's always a, an icon of Christ in the dome. Mm. And so when you go into an Orthodox service, you see the icon of Christ surrounded by his angels. And there's this very much this sense that we are all part of this. We're all this, part of this great cloud of witnesses and we are worshiping Christ throughout the ages. We are worshiping now in our present, but people who have gone before us are worshiping now in heaven. Mm. The angels are worshiping and that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. We're all together glorifying God. Mm. And you just feel like you're such a, you're part of something so much bigger, so much bigger than the world that we know. Mm. It's, it's the eternal view is what it makes me feel. So I know from an evangelical perspective, mm -hmm. looking at an Orthodox, you know, service with right. all the, prayers that are mm. written right specific mm -hmm. words specific yep. things just a really specific order a lot of people are like that's so stifling mm -hmm. like we want spontaneity we want, yeah, we want freedom sure. which is what the church c had supposedly yes and yet you don't find those things restrictive um tell us a little bit about about your relationship i guess to that kind of structure yeah yeah part of it i think is just personality okay. so there, that is that part of me that i crave structure Okay. And I like to know what's going, what's expected of me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that, that's one thing. That's a, that's just a personality thing. The other, the answer I think that you're probably really looking for is the purpose of an Orthodox church service or, um, there are many services, but, um, you're probably talking about the divine liturgy, which is what you would go to on Sunday typically mm -hmm. where you have communion. And so the purpose of that service is to serve communion. And hmm. so all those prayers, 
they're preparing us to receive communion. And so there's a, there's a set reason why that, why those things are considered important to say. And I think we often, this might be a generalization, but it does seem like Americans discount the importance and benefit of repetition and what that does. And so, yes, we may say a lot of the same things every week, but it can hit you differently every week. And when you understand the purpose is not to be entertained, the purpose is, of course, for the people there, of course, because that's why Christ came. But why we are congregating for that service is to receive communion. And so it's not for a bunch of other reasons. And Mm. so those prayers are very important for that service. But you add on, like I often find myself praying alongside uh, quietly, or I mean to myself, silently. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes your mind wanders. You don't hear all the service every Sunday. (laughs) I don't think anyone does. But those are the things that you cling to. I think going back to when I grew up, and Anglican service was very similar in that we would say a lot of the same things. And those are the things that would get me through the hard times. Mm. That's that feeling and that, that's what I would, that's the, that's where I would gather a lot of strength from was understanding those things, knowing how to pray. Another reason prayers are written down is because if you ever just not really known how to pray mm. or you weren't really sure what to say. Yeah. So it isn't like if you're Orthodox or you follow or if you're in a liturgical church, you don't pray extemporaneously. You do. It's just not in the service that way. Mm. So it's and one it's it's teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to talk to God, um, and we're supposed to be doing that on our own time or in a, in other groups or in other ways. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be limited. It's more like a guide. Yeah. One more question. I know that when you were at the church, see, <laughs> there was. Um, it's funny because we know the real name, um, <laughs> but I keep feel like a detective show here. <laughs> the church, see. Anyways, um, <laughs> I know that there was this emphasis on, you know, the Holy Spirit. Oh man, just you were told so much like the Holy Spirit is moving in this way and wants you to do this and. And so how is the, the Holy handling? Spirit was on crack is all uh, I have to say. Like, <laughs> at that church. That was not the Holy Spirit. The church. See, man, yeah. the church. Yes. Crack. Yes. <laughs> I'm just <saying>. so. <laughs> it looked like the Holy Spirit was on crack. Okay. Or something. That's a good. And I, by that, I'm meaning I don't believe it was the Holy Spirit. No, okay. No, no disrespect. <laughs> yes. To the true Holy Spirit. To the true Holy Spirit. So how is, you know, because when I think of my generalized understanding of the Orthodox mm-hmm. Church, it is not, like the word spirit-filled does not come to mind. That is so interesting. I would say that too originally, but there's a whole mystical side of Orthodoxy. Okay. And of Orthodox mysticism. Tell that us is very much a that. little bit about Oh no, that. because Kenny's not here and I don't have all, I don't even have the background he has. Oh yeah, I don't need names yeah. or anything. I just need to, because when yeah. people want to leave evangelicalism, yeah. if they look at, you know, Orthodoxy or Catholicism, I think they pr- often think like, oh, that's well, dead. that's... That's a dead. Yes. Like dead a dead is religion. a good word. Yes. So tell me what you have found. It's the exact opposite of that. Okay. Um, it's so much more alive than any other church I've been to in the Hmm. sense that, yeah, the Holy spirit is definitely seen as being present. There's more of an understanding that God is acting. God will act. God does act. Mm. And that can be healing. Again, this sounds like it sounds very charismatic. God does heal. God continues to do miracles. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that 
and this happens in other churches as well, that miracles happen. I, from, I do believe that. But there's almost like a formula you have to follow. Like if we pray this way, if we fast this way, and then we pray that God will raise this person from the dead, he will. Hmm. And it's almost like if you follow this formula, this thing will happen. And hmm. I think that's where the mysticism comes in is that we're not God hmm. and we can't control him. And sometimes he does things and sometimes he acts in ways we expect, sometimes he doesn't. But there is a sense that things happen. So when we take communion, we actually believe we're receiving Christ into our bodies and being transformed by that. Mm. Something actually spiritually happens. Um, when you do a, when you uh, receive a blessing, it's not just like, that's a nice thing. It yeah. truly means something. Or if you look at the icons, they've passed away, but they're present with us. Mm. They're still like they're present in heaven. And we would still say, and you can ask for prayers not to the saints, mm. but, but from them. So people who are very holy and lived amazing lives and maybe were uh, noted for doing certain miracles, we think, well, they're still active. Like, they're not gone. Mm. They're, they're still living and they're still active and we can still relate to them. And it, that just feels so much more alive and vibrant than trying to feel the Holy spirit, trying to follow a formula to see if we can make something happen or that it yeah. feel, it feels very different. Yeah. I was, well, and that's interesting cause I can feel my evangelical, like, mm, right. like glitch oh, thinking oh, so of much, like, Oh, so you're much. like, you're talking to dead people. Know. <laughs> and I know that probably it bothered you hard. at first. It was really, really hard, but anymore, but you don't find the tension there. now. I don't find this. I don't feel the same tension. I think I really had to wrap my mind around I ask people who are my friends to pray for me. Hmm. And if I don't, if I believe we continue to live after we die, our souls are eternal. Why would it be wrong for me to ask someone else to pray for me hmm. who is dead? That's interesting. Conception I had is that, oh, well, you're asking saints to pray for you or like you have to ask them so they can ask Jesus or that. And that's not at all the same. That's not the situation. It's, truly just like asking a friend to help you or a mentor to help you mm. to pray for you, to support you, to bring this also before God as you are also doing. Mm. Interesting. So just because they don't have earthly bodies, yeah, that's the difference. Do it's, we have faith? Yeah. That's very yeah. interesting. I, I can, I know and that for me, I was told like, Oh, don't like yes, that's oh, bordering on oh, something. It's like, you know like what I mean? Dipping a toe over the line. It's dangerous. Yeah. And that is something that took a lot. I, I had to process through. Yeah. So I can definitely understand where someone would hear that and be like, yeah, you've gone over to the dark mm-hmm. side. Yeah. What were some of the most, um, difficult things when you were thinking about becoming Orthodox? Like what mm-hmm. were some of the biggest hurdles or strangest differences, I guess? Yeah. Um, one of the hurdles for me, so this is just personally for me was going into something where I did not know what to expect and mm. I hate those situations. Mm-hmm. So going into a service where some churches don't really have pews because you stand through most of an Orthodox service. Oh, wow. Our church is more Westernized. Like, cause, and so we have, even though we stand through most of the service, you can sit. And mm-hmm. of course, if you go to any church and you need to sit down that they have chairs around the room, like, it's totally fine. Yeah. But Thinking about going into a room, again, not used to icons. There are icons mm. everywhere. I thought that was really weird. Mm-hmm. They didn't have chairs. It was weird. People, it just, you just, it just felt really uncomfortable. And yeah. so I had to learn about 
what a service was, what was going on before I was comfortable even kind of going. And then I was like, well, yeah, what is this thing with icons? Yes. This is weird. Let's talk about the icons. We can. That's mm -hmm. definitely weird for a lot of people. You know, people are like, well, an icon, that seems like an idol. Like, are you idolizing Mary or someone or whatever? Is that, am I getting that confused with Catholicism? Well, here's the difference. So we're talking about how they, you know, there's unity in the essentials. Yes. Um, Some, if you look up, you know, what do the Orthodox believe about uh, Mary? Some people could say, I think she never sinned. I think she was sinless. Hmm. And I actually don't agree. I don't, that doesn't seem like it follows with what I know of the Bible and, um, I think she was, I'm sure she was a very good person and or yeah. God wouldn't have chosen her, but I don't think she never sinned. Mm. And I can hold that. That's an also an okay belief to have. You don't have to know that all you have, but you do need to believe that she was Christ's mother and gave birth to him through the Holy spirit. Yes. Um, mm. That's a basic Christian belief. You have to believe that. And the Catholics would say she never sinned and her mother never sinned. I believe. Oh, wow. Check me there. But, um, that's yeah. not Orthodox belief. Hmm. Though some people may believe it and be orthodox. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. So so for like icons, mm-hmm. the idea is... What is the idea for the icons? That they bring to to mind mm-hmm. these people? And, yeah. Okay. Yes. So you'll see a lot of uh, biblical scenes portrayed in icons. Um, there are many icons of Christ. So you also notice... So something that I think make, make people feel a little more comfortable um, with icons not being idols is that only Christ is portrayed as a human. Because oh. he had a human body, and that's why we can portray him in icons. Because he was fully human. Interesting. You won't see God the Father or the Holy Spirit portrayed. You might see, so in the in the Bible, there's the story, I think Abraham, where he, was it Abraham? He serves uh, a meal. Was it mm-hmm. the angels? Okay, you have to help me. You have your to theology the, degree. Okay. You know Are you talking about Psalm and Gomorrah? The no, no. I'm talking about oh. how... Um, Abraham uh, meets three travelers that are commonly understood to represent the okay. Holy Trinity. I, th- I believe it is Abraham because then Sarah yes. overhears them. Yeah, so right. that's commonly used to represent the Trinity. Okay. And we'll have that portrayed because, but not but not personified. Like you won't see the Father or the Spirit personified in iconography. Okay. Interesting. But you may have images that evoke the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but you'll see lots of pictures, uh, icons of Christ, because he was a human. And then uh, Mary, his mother, who's called the Theotokos, which this is loosely translated like the mother of God. Mm-hmm. And she's in a lot. She is honored, not not as someone who was, I would say, not human, mm-hmm. but as someone like, she was special. And we, if you read the hymn of Mary where she's saying, I'll be remembered forever for this. Mm been paraphrased so yeah. she is important she's an important figure and so lots of icons of her and then saints who have yeah. done amazing things and uh, cherubim seraphim that sort of thing you'll see and it's just to to bring that reminder so if you see a, an icon of a parable it will bring to mind that that parable mm. if you are struggling with something you need something to focus on and you can see that icon, an icon of Christ that can help you like maybe just me personally that can help center me yeah. in a way. Um, I also love it. Like I said, going back to the dome in an Orthodox church, if you look up, you see the angels and it mm. also just is a very stark reminder that we are surrounded by hosts of angels yeah. and that reality is present. So it's like getting a little bit closer to heaven, hmm. a little bit closer to seeing. So when you see an icon of someone who's gone or, 
some biblical event, it feels like the veil is a little bit thinner. This is the first part of a two-part series with Jenny as we discuss her faith and her deconstruction and her current expression of Christianity. In our next episode, we will listen to Jenny as she shares her thoughts on something she's very passionate about, which is purity culture. You may recall that we heard Maria Stewart talk about purity culture in episode two. But Jenny gives us a unique perspective as someone who is definitely also against purity culture, but still exists within the framework of the church and the traditional biblical understanding of sexuality. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.